0: We are now Health Talk from Mars. It's out of this world and this is part 2 of the ideal diet according to Mars. We talked in our last episode about diversifying foods as much as possible, maximizing your fiber intake. We mentioned a little bit about potassium that we need to get more potassium from our diet cuz potassium keeps the blood more alkaline and potassium regulates the blood pressure. Right now, we know that 70% of the U.S. adult population has at least high or high normal blood pressure, which is crazy. And a big reason for that is lack of potassium and too much sodium. Sodium I wouldn't consider a toxicant or a toxin, but sodium in high amounts is definitely not healthy, especially in certain populations. Afro-American population are particularly sensitive to sodium. A little bit of sodium goes a long way. Right now, it's guesstimated that we actually require about 0.3 to 0.5 grams of sodium a day. So that's a pretty small amount. The average American gets about four to seven grams a day of sodium. And of potassium, we consume about 2.2 grams. And it's guesstimated that in Paleolithic times, we consumed eight to 10 grams a day. So ideally, the DASH diet recommends somewhere between five and seven grams of potassium a day. So the only way to achieve that much potassium is to consume more fruits and vegetables. Again, plant-based diet, that's where it's at. So we're gonna talk a little bit about fruits, now. So fruits sometimes get a bad rap because fruits may raise your blood sugar. And so we know there was a study that came out recently in JAMA that 50% of the US population is now either pre-diabetic or diabetic, which is crazy. When you look at the stats that over 42.4% as of 2018 of people in United States are obese. It makes sense. Obesity and diabetes run hand in hand. So let's give a shout out for different types. Again, diversification is the key. And we know in potassium, fruits contain a very significant amount of potassium. So one of the things I like to teach is that it's very important when you're looking at a fruit or a berry, that the more skin that berry has, the more flavonoid percentage it has. So the smaller the berry, the better. So if you take an orange, for example, there's a lot of pith in an orange. It's going to raise your blood sugar a lot more than if you have, let's say, a wild blueberry or a salal berry or blackberries and stuff. There's a lot of seeds and a lot of fibrous materials in there. And that's exactly what you want. Again, we want to look for a diversity of colors. So one of my favorite fruits are peaches. Peaches and nectarines, especially if you're eating the skin, which we mentioned before, the skin is a wealth of nutrients, concentrated nutrients. The skin's what protects the fruit from oxidative damage from the sun, the ultraviolet light. So it just makes sense that it's going to have more concentrated flavonoids to protect it in that skin. So a great example of this is red wine versus white wine. I don't know too much about making wine, I've never made wine, but I know that they remove the skins in white wine and then they filter the wine through the bladder of an Isinglass fish, which is crazy, but it's a whole nother story into the ethics. Red wine, they let the skin sit. And so the flavonoid content the quercetin content and the resveratrol content of red wine is going to be much higher than white wine. So the darker, the better. I, went, I took a trip to one of the five blue zones in Ikaria. Ikaria is a small island off the coast of Turkey. It's part of Greece. And I had, I would say, one of the most amazing bottles of wine I've ever had was nothing like red wine that I've ever tasted before. It was like a food. Drinking a food can be a really good thing because you can get a concentrated amount of certain nutrients. We mentioned resveratrol is a compound that is touted as one of the longevity flavonoids that we all should be consuming a significant amount of resveratrol. Other foods that are also fruits like apricots, Apricots have a tremendous amount of potassium and also tremendous amount of carotenoids. We mentioned carotenoids in carrots, very protective against skin cancer, lung cancer, and also a number of other different cancers as well. So we want to maximize our intake as much as possible. So I just wanted to briefly talk a little bit about juices. Another controversial topic, some people are like, no, you shouldn't have juice because it's very concentrated, it's going to raise your blood sugar up, it's going to cause diabetes and you're going to get fat, too many calories, too concentrated. Well, I would say there is maybe some truth to that, but it depends on the individual. So there's a number of programs, one of which the Max Gerson program uses a concentrated juice and they have you doing if you have uh, advanced cancer 108 ounces a day of this juice uh, consisting of a- carrots and apples and some other greens in there i highly recommend it's a little book by dr brooke goldner it's called goodbye lupus and in there she goes through a little bit of a history she had severe lupus they gave her five to seven years to live she was going to get put on dialysis and make a long story short She basically cured her lupus by doing smoothies, by doing juices. So I think that juices, especially in people that may be a little bit malnourished could be really, really advantageous. Certainly in cancer could be very advantageous. Getting your potassium level up. I mentioned that one cup of carrot juice can have as much as 1400 milligrams of potassium. That's almost as much as the average American gets in a day. So if you want to use that as a supplement, I think that's a great idea. One of my favorite fruits that I think this is a Johnny-come-lately is pomegranates. So pomegranates are a food composed of a lot of little seeds. And in those seeds, there's a very concentrated, again, amount of flavonoids in there. What they have found in parts of the world near Kazakhstan, where they consume a lot of pomegranates, they have the lowest incidence of prostate cancer in the world. So it's like, hmm, that's interesting. So again, the glycemic index or the how high your blood sugar goes up after eating pomegranates is going to be really minimal. And if you have a dessert, I do eat desserts. I happen to Love chocolate. One of my favorite desserts to make uses bananas, frozen ripe bananas. And you put that into a Cuisinart or a blender. You can put some ice in there, put some chocolate, unsweetened chocolate and flax seeds. So you got some omega-3 fatty acids. You can even put some walnuts in there, chop those up to give you some more omega-3 fatty acids and you whip that up, and I usually use soy milk. Soy milk has a significant amount of fat in it, so it gives it a little bit more texture, and you can use unsweetened soy milk, and the very ripe bananas give you all the sugar you're gonna need, and then at the end, you can throw in pomegranate seeds. So you have this beautiful dark chocolate with these bright red pomegranate seeds, and it's like, that is a healthy dessert. And that's what we should think about when we eat desserts rather than just all out just garbage. I see some of these dessert places and I'm like, people actually go in there and I guess they find some of that stuff really enticing. I don't find it enticing at all, but I do love chocolate. And chocolate happens to be on the top 20 foods in the world that we should be consuming. But we should be consuming it in a good way, sustainable way, because chocolate unfortunately can wreak havoc on the environment so we want to pay attention to that where we get our chocolate from. So some other foods in the top 20 foods in the world I'm going to bring up the topic of mushrooms. Never ate mushrooms growing up. Mushrooms were like the most yucky things in the world. I think it wasn't until I got into college in the second year and one of my roommates turned me on to it was a mushroom noodle casserole consisted of Campbell's cream of mushroom soup, which not a healthy thing. That was my introduction to mushrooms, and I liked it. It was, it was like dessert. If you haven't seen Fantastic Fungi, Fantastic Fungi is a great movie. It talks about Paul Stamets and his history and the nature of mushrooms. There are so many mushrooms out there that have so many amazing properties. In that movie, he talked about his mom. His mom had stage four breast cancer and she consumed a combination of a mushroom formula that he had put together and basically cured her with just this mushroom formula. So there are some amazing healing and cancer preventive properties in mushrooms. Of course, my favorite mushrooms are shiitake mushrooms. So shiitake mushrooms, and I had, when I was uh, lecturing at the naturopathic medical school here in Portland, I had Dr. Paul Stamets come and lecture in one of my classes. And I had been bugging him for several years, because in my book I have a table of vitamin D content in foods showing that mushrooms have a significant amount of vitamin D in them. Paul Stamitz did an experiment, and I like to think that maybe I'm responsible for stimulating him to do this experiment. So he took three different kinds of mushrooms, shiitake, reishi, and maitake mushrooms. He put them in the sun, so he lives up in Olympia, and he put them in the sun from 11 o'clock in the morning to three o'clock in the afternoon. And he measured the vitamin D content before and after. And after they had been exposed, pleats up, upside down, they generated thousands of units of vitamin D. And I thought, that's pretty trippy. And I was like, so happy. And he was smiling. He was like, yeah, it was amazing little study he did in his backyard, basically. So mushrooms can be a really valuable source of vitamin D. So a little shout out for vitamin D. If you haven't read the book, Michael Hollick, the vitamin D solution in there, he talks about all the benefits of vitamin D. If we take a look at primates, bonobos, gorillas, chimpanzees, orangutans, all their average vitamin D level in their blood is 68 nanograms. Humans average about 17 to 27 depending upon the season. So I think we need to be more like our native population of primates where they're outside all the time. So they're earthing. And they're getting their vitamin D from the sun. I don't know how much sunbathing chimpanzees do. That's a good question. I think I'll need to get the answer to that someday. All right. So using mushrooms. Now, Paul Stamets believes that mushrooms do have toxins in them and that we should be careful about consuming them. So because of that, you shouldn't really eat mushrooms raw. You should always cook them. So that's a little side note on mushrooms. Make sure that you cook your mushrooms to a certain degree before you consume them. Don't use mushrooms raw. And that goes for like salad bars where you see those raw mushrooms. I wouldn't consume them in that fashion. All right. So diversify the mushrooms that you get. I like to go pick chanterelle mushrooms right now. It's chanterelle mushroom season and they are out and about and they're beautiful and it's just amazing how they grow, how spectacularly fast they grow and how fantastic they are. So there's a compound in most mushrooms called lentinin. So lentinin has been shown to be very protective against various types of cancer. Okay, so moving on, we talked about berries and we talked about eating wild berries. And one of the berries that grows wild here in Oregon is salal berries. And so I'm a big fan. If you can find a berry that's not toxic, great to consume. Salal berries are really tasty, dark purple. They have one of the highest ORAC values in the world. That and Maki berries. Maki berries are found in Chile. Those of you that don't know what ORAC is, ORAC stands for Oxygen Radical Absorbance Capacity. And all that is is a fancy way of saying it's antioxidant potential. How much it's going to protect your cells against oxidative damage, how much it's going to protect your DNA from oxidative damage, which is arguably the root of many types of cancers. Let's move on to onions and garlic. Garlic, I don't know if we consider garlic a spice or a food. Last night I was talking about making this black lentil soup adding a bunch of veggies in there. Well, one of the things I added was garlic. Garlic is interesting. Sometimes people can get a reaction from garlic because it can be rather spicy. So I recommend to lightly saute garlic. So just cook it down a little bit, makes it a little bit more tolerable. But raw garlic has properties in it that cooked garlic doesn't have. So a combination. So what I did was I, sauteed some of the veggies, and at the end, I added the garlic, and I cooked that up a little bit. And then at the very end, I added some raw garlic. And that gives it, again, a little bit different flavor, different kick, and different nutritional properties. All right, I mentioned about onions. Onions and garlic contain compounds that will decrease your platelet stickiness. In other words, make your blood less likely to clot. Most people in the United States, their blood tends to be rather thick and tends to clot readily. So we want your blood to clot less readily. Rather than using a baby aspirin or some other anticoagulant, do this with food. As Hippocrates said in 420 BC, leave the drugs in the chemist's pot if you can cure the patient with food. So I thought, wow, that's that's pretty cool. He's really quite a naturo, isn't he? All right, let's move on to tomato. So tomato is in its own category by itself. Amazingly enough, there were no tomatoes in Italy before 1500. So tomatoes came over originally from the conquests of the Spaniards down into South America, in particular Peru, and they brought them back. And for years, it was thought that tomatoes were toxic and they were in the nightshade family and they were toxic and if you eat them, you would die. And it's hard to believe that now in Italy, wow, Italy's associated with tomatoes and pizza and that kind of thing. So here's some really interesting things that we've discovered about tomato. So tomato contains a compound called lycopene Lycopene, again, one of the most cancer-protecting and also cardiovascular-protecting compounds. So if you take tomato and you saute tomato with some olive oil, the olive oil will make the lycopene much more extractable from the tomato. So it's actually beneficial to do a little olive oil saute with tomato to extract that lycopene and make it more bioavailable. Now, depending upon your iron levels, you can use cast iron. We talked about this in another episode. If your iron tissue levels are low, by all means, go ahead, use some cast iron. If not, then you should use stainless steel, high-quality stainless steel. That's important. But using onions and garlic is a great way to protect your cardiovascular system. Another food that I recommend frequently, one that I grew up not eating... It's avocado. Avocados are very high in potassium. One medium avocado contains 1,360 milligrams of potassium. So adding avocado to a salad or whenever I go out to eat, I usually ask them to throw some avocado on there. So avocado is very high in monounsaturated fatty acids. So avocado is something, because of its fat content, will lower the glycemic index of whatever it is that you're eating. So that has a positive benefit to it. But avocados are a great way to fatten up a dish. So one of the great desserts I ever had was a combination. It was I think it was avocado and it would put in a food processor with chocolate. And it was chocolate, avocado. I was like, oh my God, this is like amazing. So use an avocado as a fat source to thicken stuff up and to make it more creamy. We mentioned about fruits, best fruits to eat, gonna be small berries. Citrus fruit, however, has been shown to have some very important cancer-protecting properties like limonene. So one of the things that you can do, especially if you're using organic lemons, organic oranges, is you can use a zester. So a zester is something that you use on the outside of that fruit to peel away the outside skin and make it into small particles. So those small particles are concentrated in flavonoids. So rather than just toss the skin, you could make use of the skin, you could make different drinks out of it. If I'm out somewhere and I'm gonna indulge myself into an alcoholic beverage, which I do on occasion, sometimes I'll ask them, hey, you got a zester, can you zest some lemon into my drink? And the alcohol is going to solubilize the flavonoid and make it more bioavailable. So you're actually consuming a tincture. So I have a dear friend and colleague that specializes in making alcoholic beverages with various types of fruits, and he puts them in there, and they make this amazing drink that's, again, going to be actually really healthy for you, as long as, obviously, you don't get completely inebriated. All right, so now we're going to shout out to an alternative food that most Americans don't really eat any at all, and that would be seaweed. So seaweed and algae are very, very important sources of various nutrients, including omega-3 oils and also flavonoids, different types of flavonoids, and also selenium high in selenium, which is cancer protecting. In fact, if I recommend for someone to take an omega-3 supplement, I'll usually recommend them to take an algae supplement because that's where the fish get their omega-3s from. Lower on the food chain, less toxicants, better for you. Makes sense. And better for the fish. In the last, I don't know, 10 years, I buy these sheets of algae that you can buy and they're a little salty so they're great for snacks for kids we need to train our kids to like at an early age because then it's a normal food it's not some freaky food and it's really really good for them and you can use it as a wrap you can wrap stuff so you can make different types of sushi out of it so it's really good and a shout out to spirulina Is one of the healthiest foods in the world. Really high in protein, <clears throat> of course, plant protein, and really high in carotenoids. One of the highest sources of carotenoids. So I recommend using spirulina on a daily basis. There's another algae called Dunaliella salina that's mostly used as food colorant in Japan. So I, I made an antioxidant formula we've talked about before, oxyquench. And I put a good amount of Dunaliella salina in there because that is a very, very important anti-cancer compound. Okay, so let's talk about squash. Squash is great for the environment, it grows really easily, it doesn't have a big footprint on water uh, usage, and it grows like wildfire and you can grow a very large diversity. You mentioned bitter melons, one of the best ones. You can do pumpkin and pumpkin seeds. Pumpkin seeds happen to have a significant amount of omega-3 fatty acids, which we talked about before. So that's really good, but just using as many different types of squash as possible and as many different types of colors squash as possible is gonna be beneficial. And squash is something you could just bake cut up and throw it into whatever food that you're eating. So it doesn't interfere usually with the flavor very much. And it's just really good. So now I'd like to just spend a little time on alcohol. So alcohol is a really controversial and certainly divisive topic. And people get really, really strongly opinionated on this. And so the latest research that I've been able to gather is that depending upon the alcohol, that you're consuming really depends on its effect. Alcohol is a toxin. Alcohol damages your blood vessels. So no matter how much you take in, it is a toxin. So it's a matter of how much of the toxin. Now, we talked about red wine and white wine and the skins. So red wine and the alcohol, you have you're actually drinking a tincture, a tincture of grapes. So What they have found in males, one to two cups, one to two glasses of wine a day is actually protective and will let you live longer. And then for females, it's about one glass. So I think that's prudent recommendation. Now, of course, if you've got a problem with alcohol, that's a different story. If you've got high levels of iron, that's a different story because you don't want to add another toxin into your body. So again, there's a little caveat with there. So if you're gonna do wine, and I mentioned the wine that we drank over in Icaria, which is the island, one of the blue zones of the world, was different than any wine I've ever had before. And I'm like, this is like a real food. If you can get a wine like that, that's great. That's what I recommend. Small amounts, maybe not every day. So that would be my recommendation. Hard alcohol not great. If you want to put some things in there with the hard alcohol, like pomegranate juice or some type of berry. So the person I mentioned before, Glenn Nagel, Dr. Glenn Nagel, who is a naturopathic physician, a colleague and friend of mine, makes the most amazing drinks. And if all bars used his formulations we would be a much healthier population so that's a good thing to do is to use alcohol as a solvent for the flavonoids that are found in the different either plants or fruits all right so let's talk about spices now so spices are a really important topic in the united states mostly we use salt and pepper which we mentioned before, salt. We overdo salt four to seven grams a day, not great. So if they replaced every salt and pepper shaker with a curry shaker and a potassium shaker or garlic, we would be a much, much healthier population. So garlic, definitely in the top 10, I've got garlic powder, and I make a a special popcorn spice with the garlic powder. And then I have garlic flakes, which are larger. I'll use that to cook with if I'm in a hurry. And then, of course, raw garlic. You should grow your own garlic if you can. It's not so hard to grow, and it gives you the sheer joy of getting your own food right from your backyard. Some other important spices, turmeric. Turmeric, probably one of the top ones. Turmeric contains a compound, curcumin. Which is found to be anti-inflammatory, protective against cancer, cardiovascular disease, and also Alzheimer's disease. So use freely as much turmeric as you can. Add it to other spices. So curry powder has turmeric in there. So curry is a good one. So we need to learn from India. India use so many amazing spices there that are really healthy for you. Ginger. Top three spice, ginger is really a beneficial anti-inflammatory for you. Curry powder, as I mentioned, there's literally hundreds of different kinds of curry. So when you say curry, that's really a combination of different spices and whatnot, including garlic and turmeric and a bunch of other things, cardamom, etc. Cayenne. Cayenne is a spice that can be really addictive for many people. Cayenne has some great anti-inflammatory properties. I got a quarter of my blood's Irish, so I tend to be pretty sensitive to cayenne. So I don't use too much of it, but I think more is good. I think cayenne is going to, especially a deep red cayenne pepper, it's just, it's good. It's got flavonoids in there. Probably the one I grow the most is basil. Basil, everyone can grow basil in their garden. You can have it as a house plant. It grows Just take a little bit and put it in your food. So that's an easy way to get some extra nutrients into your diet. Okay, now we're on to chocolate. I'm listing chocolate as a spice. So if you're going to eat chocolate, obviously you should eat good chocolate. And environmentally good chocolate means that they're not mowing down huge forests to plant the trees. And so, sustainability is really important for chocolate. So, you should know where you're getting your chocolate from. And in consuming it, you should consume about at least 70% cacao. At least 70%, that's like kind of the minimum. Below that, now you're getting into more candy. So when I went down to the Amazon a few years ago now, we got this cacao pod out of a tree. We knocked it out of the tree, came down, we cut it open. It was all kind of gooey inside. It looked like aliens in there. And we ate some of the pods and I was expecting them to be like awful. And they were actually really pretty good. It wasn't like normal and they were white colored. It wasn't like... The chocolate that we're used to seeing, but they were actually pretty good. So, anyway, cacao has fiber in it, which is great. And it also does have a number of compounds, one of which is called PEA, phenylethylamine, which is an amphetamine like compound. And this is a compound, probably the reason why people get addicted to chocolate. This is one of them it feeds your pea receptors and it's strong so i probably have a an addiction to chocolate and have it i'd say most days of the week and it's something that's definitely small amounts really good darker the better most of it's really dark over 70 percent's my recommendation last but not least i'm gonna put cinnamon on my top spice list So cinnamon is really, really important. It's been shown to have some properties favorable for preventing diabetes and regulating your blood sugar. It contains some proanthocyanidine compounds, which, again, is, is good for you. Make sure you get your spices organic. Many herbs are unfortunately irradiated. Irradiation of herbs can produce something called unique radiolytic byproducts. Unique radiolytic byproducts are not something that you want to consume on a daily basis because they can damage your DNA. So watch where you get your spices from. Fresh spices are going to be the most ideal. Make sure your spices are organic if you're getting dried ones. Okay, so I've given you now a wealth of information in which to select your foods. And go out there and create new foods that you've never eaten before using all of these things that I've mentioned for you today. So over and out, thanks for listening and stay tuned to our next podcast.